Wow, I'm excited about today. Hang on. Hang on. This is a great passage. We are going to be going to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to have some application and some uh, discussion at the end of this. There's always a good part where you have an explanation of the text and then application to life. And this is one of those where an explanation of the text is probably pretty much in order. And then when we get to the application of life, we'll be able to open it up and uh, uh, apply it into a variety of different places. Remember last week, we looked at the mounting opposition, the mounting opposition that Jesus was facing, not only from his own people, but from Herod and the scribes and the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. And Jesus saw that mounting opposition and he began to prepare his disciples for those overwhelming circumstances that happen in life. And so we talked a little bit about that. And his message was is that whatever those circumstances are, whatever mounting circumstances that you might be able to face or are facing, Jesus is more than adequate, more than adequate to be able to meet those overwhelming circumstances that you, that you see. Never gauge the size of the challenge in terms of our own human ability because totally we aren't going to be able to meet those challenges. It's only through God that we're going to be able to meet those challenges. And that's what he was saying. And the, the memory verse last week, Matthew 15, 27, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. That continual dependence upon him is absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial to be able to face life. But in the midst of all of that, and that's why we get into the thing. In the midst of all of that, the disciples were still clueless. They were still clueless. They didn't really get it. They were still kind of half blind to what was going on in, in and through Jesus Christ. What we would begin in Matthew chapter 16, verse 5, I'm going to turn to the parallel passage in Mark. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8. 14, and I'm going to start there because Mark chapter 8, 14 is the parallel passage that begins in Matthew chapter 16, verse 5, and this is kind of the beginning part or the intro into the passage that we're going to look at, which is, begins in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. But you need a little bit of background here before we get there because Jesus really begins to speak to some of their cluelessness. Notice in Mark chapter 8, verse 14, then we'll go back to Matthew 8, 14. They've forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf of, uh, in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of, leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Verse 17, Jesus said, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see? Do you not yet understand? In other words, are you guys still clueless here? Do you have a hardened heart? Verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up? They said 12. And when I broke to seven for the 4,000, how many large basket full of pieces did it pick up? And they said, seven. And he said, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet see? 
In other words, here they are, they're discussing the fact in the boat that they have no bread. And Jesus said, we, we were just talking about overwhelming circumstances, and you guys are, and I just broke 5,000, you know, a couple loads for 5,000, and now you guys are, are wondering where you're going to get bread for, for the thing. You do have bread, it's just that you don't think that you have enough bread. Are you guys still clueless? Don't you get it? Well, then they get, verse 22, they come to Bethsaida. And by the way, this is the only, this, this miracle is the only recorded here in Mark, but it's a great setup for what's going to happen in Caesarea Philippi. They came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to Jesus. <laughs> Do you not yet see? Do you not yet understand? Okay, they bring a blind man to Jesus. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Now, do you think the disciples maybe said, hey, that's the same question that he was just asking us in the boat. Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, well, I see men, for I see them trees like walking around. In other words, I'm kind of foggy vision, kind of half blind to what's going on. In other words, Jesus uses this man to really demonstrate to the disciples where they are. And he brings this man up to kind of a foggy, fuzzy vision and kind of half blind, which is exactly, exactly where the disciples were in their understanding of Jesus. He said, well, I see them like trees walking about. Then again, he laid his hands on him and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to the home, do not enter the village. Well, now, verse 27 of Mark chapter 8, Jesus went out along with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Okay, that's where we now turn back to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And you'll notice that verse 5, that's the, they forgot to take bread. Disciples came to the other side of the sea. They forgot to bring any bread, da, 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 da. So that's the same same experience that we just read about in Mark is in chapter 5. But now, verse 13, Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. And so Jesus now goes, because he is being opposed by all of those people that were, are opposing him, really goes to the farthest, northernest part of the, of the district, way up to Caesarea Philippi. And at this place... Jesus now begins to give them, he's preparing his disciples, he gives them an important revelation about what's going to happen in the future. And this really is the first revelation that Jesus makes about the church. Jesus reveals about his person, but also about his program. So, look at verse 13a. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi is about 25 miles north of Galilee, up in the bottom part of Mount Hermon, at the foothills of Mount Hermon. Beautiful place, lush place, very lush, lots of rushing water, lots of water all over the place, things growing up. I mean, it's a, it's a place of fertility. And in fact, it was Herod the Philip II had gone up there and had taken a small town, which was Panius, P-A-N, Panius, and had 
enlarged it, and then they named it Caesarea after Caesar, but to keep it differentiated from Caesarea on the sea, it was expanded by Philip, so they called it Caesarea Philip, Caesarea Philippi, so that's the reason it was called Caesarea Philippi. Later on, Pontius, with the P, became Bonius, with a B, because in Arabic, they don't have the P sound, so Pontius became Bonius. So now it's called Bonius uh, because of the Arabic uh, type of thing. Anyway, now they're up there, and he asks his disciples who he is. Look at verse 13, B through 16. And who do people say that the Son of Man is? They say, well, some say John the Baptist, which is actually what uh, Herod Agrippa thought, remember? A couple of, they thought he was Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And that you is in an emphatic position in the Greek, and it's also plural. Who do you, plural, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Bingo! Bingo! Whoa! All right! Hey, now we're beginning to see things clearly. Where they had been seeing things unclear, foggy, fuzzy vision, half blind to what was going on, now Peter comes up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Bingo! All right! Now we're moving. Now we're moving. You are the Christ. He is the true God. And Peter expressed that. And then Jesus commends in verse 17. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Barjona meaning son of Jonah. So using his, really his Hebrew name, Simon Barjona. And by the way, blessed means uh, really, really has been favored by God. Not that you are going to be blessed, but you have been favored by God for this being revealed. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Amen. It was a God-given insight. Peter now revealing you are the Son of God. Bingo. Bingo. Now Jesus... Jesus now begins to build on that disciple's faith. He now steps into this situation and begins to instruct his disciples. And in the meantime, this is the first time that we're able to hear about the church. Because this is the first time that Jesus reveals that there's going to be something in here called the church. So they're ready for more information. Jesus had been dealing with the kingdom of heaven. Now he begins to open this up, and it's his first revelation. And so Jesus declares in verses 18 and 19 that he is going to build his church, and the church is going to prevail over all observ uh, opposition. He says, 18 and 19, And I say this to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the kings of the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you lose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Oh, my. What in the world's going on here? The Catholic faith builds their whole thing on this verse. 
and you say, well, I say to you, who's you? What am I saying? Well, what's going on? What's happening? Well, there's three main options, and that's why on your notes you have three, three little things. There's three options here for what he's talking about with, I say this to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Okay, what's the rock and what's Peter? Three options. By the way, interesting, uh, years ago we were, we were in Caesarea Philippi, and I had shared this with a group, and there was an individual that was in the part of the group. I, I take 40 people in the, in the, in the group. There was a, an individual who was Catholic. And uh, so I gave him the options, and I, I talked a little bit about this up at Caesarea Philippi. And the individual came up to me afterwards. We kind of sent him off to go look at some of the things that were, were available there at Caesarea Philippi. He came up to me, and he goes, this really makes me mad. I said, uh-oh. I have just offended, you know, this, this, this dear brother. He says, this really makes me mad. I said, well, gosh, what, what made you mad? And his, his answer was, is, since he was former, formerly Catholic, he said, they never told me there was another option. And you realize, well, okay, in Bible study, in Bible study, when you get to these passages, what you think through are what are the options? You know, what... What's the options here for what, what, what it could be? And then you play through those options as to what's, what are the pros and cons of this option? What are the pros and cons of this option? What's the pros and cons of this option? And as you think through those options, you come to a conclusion as to, well, I think that this is what, what, what Jesus is saying here. Based upon these conclusions, you know, this is what it is. Now, somebody might take another option, you know, but at least you have thought through it, you've reasoned through it, you've kind of gone logically through it, and you said, okay, what are the options here? When, when Jesus says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Okay, what are the options? Well, the first option is that what the Catholics would say is they would say that they're talking about Peter. Upon this rock, Peter. Peter is an option, option one. All right, what are the pros and cons of that? Well, Peter's name means rock, Petros, Petros, and upon this rock. However, it seems that Jesus had something else in mind because when he says upon this rock, he changes thou art Peter Petros, which is masculine, Petros, and means stone, rock thing, to and upon this rock, this neuter rock, Petra, which is a large shelf, feminine. All right, so it seems that Jesus is intending something else here by changing it. If he had said Peter or wanted to say Peter, he would have said Peter upon Petras, upon you. Upon you I will build my church. He doesn't. He changes the, changes the Petros to Petra. Petros masculine, Petra feminine. It seems like he's intending something else. But that is an option. Probably in mine, it's not the best. Plus, this is a neuter pronoun. And so you say, well, he's, what, what's going on here? 
Could he be referring to Peter? Possibility. However, it seems that Jesus might be changing, changing the language. Second option is that Jesus might be talking about himself and saying, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, in other words, me, Jesus, I will build my church. Now, there's a lot of things to commend, commend this particular view. Old Testament prophets likened the Messiah to a rock or a stone. Uh, Paul identified Jesus as a stone in Romans and in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. Old Testament uses a figure of a rock to describe God. So that is, that is a possibility. However, however, once again, the, the use of the neuter pronoun, this, seems to be a little bit troublesome. And plus the fact, if he really wanted to say me, why didn't he just say me, you know? Instead of this rock, neuter feminine, little troublesome. However, many, many would go there. Third option, and what I think is the best, best option out of the three, is that Jesus isn't referring to Peter. He's not referring to himself but he's referring to Peter's confession of faith that he just gave. That upon this rock, this confession of faith that you just gave, I will build my church. The nearest antecedent to that neuter pronoun is the, the phrase, this, this confession in the pre preceding context. So it fits that neuter pronoun pretty well. It also works with the sense of Petra, which is a larger shelf of rock. So you are Peter, Petras, and upon this rock, Petra, this larger shelf of rock, i.e. your confession of faith, I will build my church. Furthermore, other references of the foundation of the church kind of lead that I think that Peter was probably that. I, by the way, just no, no other, I think that Peter had that in mind. Uh, when you go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, you don't have to go there, but if you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, I think that Peter had that in mind as he wrote 1 Peter later on. He says, in coming to see is a living stone, which has been rejected, but, but is now choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones. You know, I think that Peter probably remembered back to, to what was going on there at Caesarea Philippi and was... was referring back to that. So I think that what Peter or Jesus is talking about is upon this confession of faith, I will build my church. Now, I referenced that this is the first time that Jesus makes a reference to the church. You say, whoa, what is this? New revelation, new <coughs> revelation to his disciples. Never before revealed until now, Jesus now reveals it. Hey, I'm going to build my church. I'm sure they're going to go, what? What, what, what is this? This ecclesia, this new organism is now for the first time here revealed in history. And it's different from the kingdom. It is the church built upon faith and trust of those believers. And he says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In other words, I don't think that anything's going to be able to prevail 
against what's going on. However, you say, why, why in the world would the gate of Hades be, be on there? This is where I'm going to get Art to bring up some pictures. Here we go, Art. He goes, I, I told Art, you're going to have to listen here, buddy. When you, when, you walk up, when you walk up to Caesarea Philippi, yeah, look at that. When you walk up, you will notice that you are standing in front of a big rock. What's that? Cave, rock. Well, and I'm going to, there's a big rock shelf there. Out of that rock, out of that rock is a natural spring. Now, you remember that um, I said that this was the city Pan. They worshiped the Greek god Pan. Pan was a god of fertility. And so it was a real fertility-oriented types of things that were going on there at Pan, which is now Banias. It used to be Panias. But, you know, fertility types of stuff. So when you walk up now, you are going to see a big cave, and you're going to see water coming out of that cave, and you can kind of see how it's kind of flowing out. And I'm sure that at that time, there's a lot of water. Now, in previous times... They have an artist's de de depiction of what it was probably like during Jesus' time. So if you want to flip, it, flip to the next slide. So you can see superimposed over on the left-hand side. You see the kind of the cave thing over there on the left? And there was water coming out of here. And so now they were worshiping Pan up there in the artist's description of Caesarea Philippi. And he says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. They believed in that cave was really the gates of Hades, as, uh, as, they, were, as they were possibly Jesus, doesn't, text doesn't say, I think though, I think Jesus was using a three-way wordplay here. Three-way wordplay. Not only Jesus and Peter, Jesus and Peter's confession, but now he's using the wordplay of a contrast between this rock of faith and that rock of apostasy. That there's a third one going on there. And he says the gates of Hades, i.e. that rock, that rock is not going to be able to prevail. That rock of is cold, is empty. That rock doesn't satisfy. That rock leads to death. This rock of your faith, this rock leads to life, fulfillment. You know, this is the true rock. That's a false rock. That's got all the glitz and the glimmer of what's going on here at, at Caesarea Philippi. But that rock, that's not going to be able to overtake this rock of faith. And so I think that there's a third illustration. That unless you're really going up there, Caesarea Philippi, and you're really standing there in front of that rock, and you really see Pan and Panias and all of the other stuff that's going on, you probably, you know, would probably miss that, that little bit of innuendo when Jesus brings up in the gates of Hades, you say, What's with the gates of Hades? Well, I think he's making a reference because they're standing right there against that religion that's up there. That religion will not be able to take the relationship away. Will not be able to prevail. 
You go, ah, yes. You know, Bible interpretation, historical, grammatical, rhetorical, uh, you know, we use all of that. But I think there's also a little bit of geographical that goes in here every once in a while, where the geographical helps to inform what's happening because of where they were or some event that happened in a particular geographical location, you're able to kind of see now geographical kind of coming in to be able to play into what's, what's happening. Peter, given the keys, and I think that Peter gave those keys or used those keys as he was preaching. If you remember, he preaches in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and what's he preaching? He's preaching a gospel message. To you, I will give the keys to open, the, open up those, that life. And he used those. I think he used those to preach in Acts chapter 2. He also used them as he went to preach to Cornelius. I mean, he was the apostle to the Jews. And so Peter using those keys to bind and loose as he went, went. And then Jesus says, don't tell anybody. I don't think it was his time. After his resurrection, after his resurrection to this disciples could take more of an unrestrained approach to be able to calling people to faith and trust in him but right at the moment he was being chased around the countryside he was a uh, fugitive in some respects and so don't tell anybody what's going on wait until the resurrection and then proclaim boldly what's what's going on all right now here's where we get a little bit of discussion a little bit of interpretation of what's going on, what's the point? What's the point? So what? You know, we, I always, I always come back to why is this here and what application does that now have to my life? We have an explanation of the text, application to life. Explanation of the text, we kind of talked about the text. What's the application to life? What's going on? on here what if i would say would be the timeless truth of this whole of this whole thing what what's the point speak to me <laughs> fill the room fill the room what's that okay establishment of the church's new revelation yes gail The more they know Jesus, the more they come to get it. Being with him, listening to him, slowly taking in those bits and comprehending what he is saying opens their eyes and they start to get it even more. So staying in the faith, in the word, in the trust, you get it more. Amen. And you know that whole, that whole section with... Uh... Uh, the blind man at, at, at Bethsaida, yeah, it's kind of like hang in there. Hang in there. You know, I know that you, you know, and th what a beautiful passage that is because Jesus really bringing that blind man up to their place, he, he's really saying to him, I know where you are. I know where you are. But if you keep hanging in there with me, if you keep hanging in there with me, that vision will eventually be cleared. You will, you will grow. I, yeah, absolutely. I think that that whole thing. Yes, yes. Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus knew that he was going to die, but his church would continue on. Absolutely. Yeah. Even, even when, absolutely, even when 
they were going to hand him over to be killed, even in his death, the gates of Hades would not prevail. That my church will, my church will prevail on. It will, it will go on. Yes, you. What Michael. we what we see here is is that Peter gets the gift from God, the gift of sight from God, and on that gift from God, the faith and understanding in Christ's divinity, that is the foundation of the church. It's the gift of God to know Christ. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. That profession of faith in him that was given to him by God was uh, uh, the foundation. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Well, I just think if we don't know who Jesus really is, then in our personal lives, we don't have a rock to build our lives on. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, you bet. I'm going to come back to that here in a, in a second. What's, what's dinging? Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> other things, yes, absolutely. What what other what other insights out, out of this passage? Yes, sir. Were there ever other churches except the one you're talking about? Bad bad churches. Were there ever other churches? The bad ones that people went to. Well, I think you need to make a. I think you need to make a differentiation between religion, religion versus relationship. So, with the religion, there's a lot of different religions. But other churches. Well, they that's would why call them churches. they would call them churches, but those they are. They call them something else. Well, they they were based upon trying to work their way to heaven, versus faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, so you're, you need to make that differentiation between, sure, there's a lot of this different religions that would call themselves churches, but they're really working their way to heaven. Okay. It's not really a true church. The true church that Jesus is talking about is really based upon faith and trust in him and him alone. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about there. Yeah, what else? Yeah, Don. They're moving quickly. Earlier this week, I asked a friend, what book of the Bible are you reading in an email? And he said, I have been poking around in the book of John. That brings us to the parable or the, the uh, cleansing of the man who was blind. Because it's not all that helpful to have a whole bunch of Christians who look out on the world and just see sort of some trees moving around when what God wants to provide is full sight and insight as to what scripture is saying. So uh, the exhortation on a Sunday morning is one thing to encourage us to go out and read scripture on a daily basis because in so doing, we will gain that sight and insight. Amen. Yeah, and remembering where the where the disciples were at that particular time. They were half blind to what was going on. Yeah, Howard. Well, I think it's interesting <clears throat> that uh, uh, Peter's in the affirmative, but the opposite of that is uh, found in John, the 8th chapter, 24th verse, and therefore I said to you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, the Christ, 
and you um, and and you will die in your sins. And so uh, that's the two opposing views there. With which which are what what well, life and death. One one that you uh, believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the Living God, and the other is that if you don't believe, yeah. you're going to die in your sins. Sure. And I think that that contrast was really made even more apparent as Jesus pointed to those guys there at that rock at Pontius, you know, that rock of that false religion that they were, were, were pointing to up, up there as well. Anything else? You know, I, I go back and you say, what's the point? What's the timeless truth? And all of these are true. I, I, you know, there's faith and trust uh, upon Jesus. He is the one who's going to be able to provide. You remember that they just got off the boat, you know, and complaining about how come they don't have any bread. Well, they did have bread. They just didn't think that they had enough bread. They had bread. Where is your faith? Do you not yet see? Do you not yet understand? Come back to me. Trust in me. Depend upon me. I am going to be the one that's going to be able to provide for all of your needs. And it goes back, you know, uh, remember the Sermon on the Mount, which we did some weeks ago, a couple months ago, in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, the wise man builds his house on the rock. You know, now that, that was a parable of the, the wise man building, building a house on the, on the sturdy stuff. You know, that was the, that was the illustration. But I think that, the, you know, if you, if you really want to make the parallel here, yeah, the wise man builds his house on the sturdy stuff, on the confession of faith. He builds his house on the rock of trust and faith and that, not on those things that are going to be swept away by the turmoil, not those things that are going to be swept away by the overwhelming circumstances of life, which is what he just talked about before. You can get overwhelmed by those circumstances of life coming in and out of your life all of the time. The wise man builds his house on the rock. What's that rock? Faith and trust, dependence upon Jesus Christ. How come you, you keep complaining that you have no bread? You just don't think that you have enough bread. Faith, trust, depend upon me. The wise man builds his house on the rock those things that are, are steady. And all of these rock images kind of keep coming up, you know, uh, periodically through the time. But if you just say, yeah, I need, to, I need to come back to that stuff that's sturdy. What's sturdy? It's not going to be, you know, my portfolio. It's not going to be this over here. It's not going to be whatever I am trusting in. All of those things can be washed away momentarily. What's the real stable stuff here? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Come back, not to that stuff, not to that religion, not to that, but to the confession of faith and trust and dependence upon God. And he continues to say, disciples didn't get it. They were, they were clueless. And as Howard pointed out, one path will lead to death. One path leads to life. Jesus says, if you trust and depend upon Jesus Christ, you will find life. You will find life. Come back to him. 
Blessed are you, Simon Barjanus. Blessed are you. You know, that confession of faith, faith and trust, that's where I'm going to build my church. And who is that? We. We. You know, interesting, all the way through, Jesus continues to make those, those references, and, you know, we're, we're a part of it. Even to the place where he prays in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane or right before in the high priestly prayer, he's praying for you. He's praying for you. You were always on his mind. You were always on his mind. What a, what a great, great thought. Father, thank you for just the illustrations of what's going on here in Matthew chapter 16. And Father, we pray that these words would draw us back to a closer relationship with you and you alone. We pray that we would be dependent upon you, that we would build our house upon the rock, that faith and trust and dependence upon you and you alone to be able to meet all of our needs in life. Circumstances may come and go. Things may happen in our life which we don't plan upon. But there's one thing that's stable throughout it all, and that's you and our faith and dependence upon you. May we keep our eyes focused upon who you are. May we continue to depend upon you moment by moment and day by day. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we're able to read your word, that we're able to dive into your word, that we're able to get to know you better through your word. We pray, Lord, that we would just be always just filling ourselves up, memorizing, reading, meditating upon who you are, that we might be able to face life and life's troubles and circumstances with confidence and boldness in you. Thank you for each one here. Richly bless them this week. We just submit ourselves, our families, our ministries into your care. Pray all of these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.